0: Well good morning, Uh, my name's Simon, if I haven't met you yet, uh, hopefully we can catch up after the service, Uh, but it'd be handy if you had a Bible open there in uh, the passage that we're looking at today, it's Acts chapters 24 through to 26, Um, we won't be looking at all of it in detail, Uh, I think I've got most of the verses we're looking at up on the screen behind me, Um, but um, better to to look along in your Bibles I think. I'm going to pray for us and uh, we'll ask for God's help as we look at his word together, let's do that. Father, we thank you for the day that you've blessed us with. Uh, and we thank you for the opportunity we have uh, to gather here on Sunday mornings uh, to read your word and uh, to, to seek to understand it and encourage each other in it together. And we pray that today uh, you might um, lay upon each of our hearts um, the, the wonder uh, and uh, the importance of the gospel message that we have to share, that you might grow our conviction um, in wanting to share this with those around us that don't yet know you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, there seems to be no end to our appetite for courtroom dramas. Um, If you're a TV executive and you're stuck for an idea, um, just pitch one about a law firm and everyone will get on board, it seems. Um, Over the last few years, look, there are too many. I've just got a sampling of them um, and on and on they go. Strained version is Rake, I don't know if anyone watches that one. Boston Legal, I'm showing my age there. Um, And there's about 30 different versions of Law and Order that you can watch as well. Um, Or my personal favourite, Judge Judy. That's where it's at. Um, Now, I don't know if any of you have been to court. Um, I was in court myself a few weeks ago. um, And I had been to court once before as a part of a jury, but this was different. This time, I was the defendant, and it had to do with this terrible photograph. Some of you may have received one of these in the mail, or digitally, as I did this time. Uh, Yes, that is me, driving through a red light, getting onto Victoria Road. Now, uh, there was no question as to my guilt, guilty as charged, um, but I went to court simply to plead for leniency. Uh, You can ask me later if you want to know how that panned out. Uh, but before my matter was dealt with, um, I got to sit in the courtroom and I got to hear well, maybe 20 different people have their their charges heard and, and appealed. Um, some people had legal representation, some people were representing themselves. Um, but the thing about court is that it's nothing like what you see on the television. There's no grandstanding, there's no kind of bullying of people. Um, everyone is incredibly respectful of the magistrate, um, there's a lot of Your Honours and If It Please the Courts uh, and most people there are very nervous and scared, as was I. But even if we know that the TV dramas aren't terribly realistic, um, we still love them. Um, and the courtroom lends itself to drama, doesn't it? The stakes are usually high and it's, it's not hard to create tension and intrigue and suspense. Plus, I think we've all got an innate sense of of justice and wanting to see justice done. Uh, We want to see the truth prevail. We want to see that verdict. Well, this morning in the book of Acts, we're dealing with three courtroom scenes uh, and there's no shortage of drama here either. We see the Apostle Paul brought before two uh, Roman governors and one Jewish king. Now, we're missing some of those antics you might expect to find in film and television. But there is no shortage of intrigue as we see Paul forced to defend himself against his accusers. What we do see, I think, is a wonderful and a powerful example of someone who's not driven by ego or self-preservation, but a man who wants to honour Jesus no matter what, regardless of his circumstances, even if his life is on the line. Now, if you remember, those of you who were here last week, we read about how Paul uh, was seized in Jerusalem uh, by a mob that tried to beat him to death. He gets rescued by the Roman soldiers. They put him under arrest, uh, as much for his own protection as anything else. Uh, And Paul pulls out his Roman citizen card uh, and it affords him a a level of protection uh, under that system. Um, And when the authorities learn of a plot to assassinate Paul, they decide to ship him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Uh, to be tried before the governor there. And that's where we pick up our story here in chapter 24. Uh, The Roman governor at the time was a man named Felix, uh, and Felix had a reputation. Uh, He was a man who was known to be unstable uh, and vicious towards those that he considered his enemies. Um, Even the Roman historians note his cruelty and his self-indulgence. And if you know anything about Roman governors at the time, that's saying something. But this is the man who's going to decide Paul's fate. Now, the Jewish religious leaders have traveled to Caesarea, as they were asked to do, and they brought with them a lawyer named Tertullus. And and Tertullus starts off proceedings by laying it on pretty thick for Felix. Uh, Read it there in Acts chapter 24, verse 2. It says, when Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. He said, we've enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. Now I've got no idea if this kind of shameless flattery had any effect on Felix, but um, from verse 5, we read about the charges. Tertullus lays out the charges against Paul, and they accuse him of three things in particular. They accuse him of stirring up riots, They accuse him of being this ringleader of a Nazarite sect, and they accuse him of desecrating the temple in Jerusalem. Um, The issue is that uh, none of those things are actually true and they can't be proven, which is something that Paul points out when he gets to speak and make his defense. Uh, Paul, when he speaks, he's very respectful of Felix without all the flattery, um, but he goes on about sort of denying these charges and dismantling them. For example, you can pick up the story there in verse 11. We won't read all of it. Um, Paul says there, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. Well, after hearing both of them, um, Felix doesn't know what to do. uh, So we're told he adjourns the matter, um, which means just doing nothing at all, uh, and as a result, he ends up keeping Paul in prison for two years. Um, he he can't arrive at a decision, doesn't know what to do with him, um, but he does summon Paul quite regularly to speak with him. Um, we read about one of those, uh, verse 24, when he invites his wife, Drusilla, who was uh, a Jewess, to, to hear Paul as well. So pick it up there in verse 24. So several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control and the judgment to come. Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. So here is Paul, in prison, knowing that this Governor Felix has the power to free him or execute him. But Paul is more concerned for Felix than he is about his own situation. And when Felix summons Paul to speak, Paul doesn't use it as an opportunity to plead for his freedom, to make his case again. He wants to talk to Felix about Jesus. He talks to him about what it means to be a Christian. And all of that starts to make Felix a little uncomfortable, Um, particularly, I think, this talk of the judgment to come. At the same time, we we also read that part of Felix's motive was um, self-interested. In verse 26, we read that uh, he's hoping that Paul will offer him a bribe. Uh, So he keeps summoning Paul, hoping that Paul might try and pay his way out of the situation that he's in. Uh, But Paul has no interest uh, in doing that. So two years this goes on. Paul's just parked in prison for two years until there is a, a change of the guard, a change of leadership. I think Felix keeps Paul there, as we've said, but partly uh, to get a bribe. But I think he's also just indecisive because he wants to keep the Jewish religious leaders off his back. Part of his job as a Roman governor is to maintain peace in that region uh, so he doesn't want to upset them. Um, But I think largely he just didn't really know what to do with Paul. So a new governor comes to town and with that, possibly a new situation. Uh, The new governor, his name is Portius Festus. And as C.S. Lewis would say, he almost deserved it. There's uh, a man uh, who must have had a rough time growing up in school, I would imagine, um, but he's risen above all the bullying and he's a powerful man now. Festus decides that his first task as governor is to try and sort out what to do with his number one celebrity prisoner, Paul. Uh, and the Jewish religious leaders for their part see it as a new opportunity uh, to try and have Paul killed. and so. Uh, They ask Festus to have Paul transferred from Caesarea back to Jerusalem and their plan is to ambush him and kill him on the way. Um, They lack a bit of imagination, these guys. It's the same plot that they had two years previously. And if you remember that plot, um, there was a group of 40 men who'd made a vow not to eat or drink until Paul had been killed. Now, two years have passed, so those people are either dead or, or very, very hungry at least. I don't think it's the same people involved in this plot, but we don't know. Now, when Paul comes before Festus, he again makes his case. Um, Festus hears the arguments, but he suggests that Paul go back to Jerusalem to be put on trial there. And this is the moment when Paul decides that he's had enough of these proceedings. Um, He's going to change the situation. So he says, oh, I haven't got that verse, I'm afraid. I'll read it to you. Pick it up, verse 10 of chapter 25 says Paul answered, I'm now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've not done any wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If however I am guilty of doing anything deserving death I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. I think Paul's probably sensing that Festus is a little too keen to to appease uh, his Jewish accusers in Jerusalem. And so he makes this appeal to Caesar as his his right, as a Roman citizen. And so that means his court is going to be heard in Rome uh, before the Roman emperor himself. I suppose it's a little, we don't probably have an equivalent, but it's a bit like your court going to, uh, your case going to the High Court of Australia. And so there's the plan. Paul's going to end up in Rome. But before that happens, uh, a man named King Agrippa pays a visit to the new emperor, Festus. Now, I know that politicians don't mind a bit of travel. Um, seem to always be getting into strife for their study tours and their junkets. Um, even this week, or the like last couple of weeks, I think Qantas has been in the news quite a bit. Um, one of the reasons they've been in the news is uh, to do with their Chairman's Lounge uh, and the perks that the politicians get with the Chairman's Lounge, and not just the politicians, sometimes the politicians' sons. Um, that's Anthony Albanese's son, who I think might be the only 23-year-old university student who's got a Chairman's Lounge pass. We're not quite sure why that is. Um, or in the news also was uh, Richard Miles uh, over the last couple of weeks. He's racked up something like a $3.6 million travel bill uh, since he's become Defence Minister. Now, I'm sure it's all above board, um, but our politicians have a bit of form when it comes to travel perks, don't they? Seems politicians didn't mind a bit of travel back in Paul's day either. Um, A few days after uh, Paul has appealed to Caesar, King Agrippa comes to visit Festus, uh, presumably to press the flesh and congratulate him on his new appointment. The king Agrippa is not a Roman governor, he's a Jew. Um, And like the Herods before him, he wasn't really a king at all, more of a kind of an honorary title that the Romans let him have. Um, But in any case, Festus thinks this is a good opportunity to try and figure some things out about Paul. He too is confused about this whole matter. And so he asks Agrippa to help him out if he'll, he'll hear Paul and help him figure out what to write to the powers that be in Rome when he sends Paul on his way. Uh, Look at how Festus actually explains uh, why he's confused. (laughs) He says this, "Uh, When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Uh, Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. Um, For the, the Roman on the outside looking in, This is all very perplexing, uh, why Paul's got everyone so upset. But he gives this wonderfully simplistic summary of the issue. He says this whole thing seems to be about a dead man named Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. So Agrippa agrees to hear Paul the following morning. uh, And when Paul gets the opportunity to speak, once again we see Paul uh, telling his story, seeking to persuade them to become followers of Jesus. He starts by talking to them about his background, how he was raised as a devout Jew and was living as a Pharisee in Jerusalem. Um, Indeed how his zeal for the Jewish traditions led him to persecute Christians, to have them rounded up, arrested uh, and even killed. He then tells Agrippa about the incredible transformation that took place in his life when Jesus meets him on the Damascus Road and how Jesus then commissioned him to take the message about him to the the known world, to the Jews and Gentiles alike and his conclusion at the end of all of that is this, he says, but I've had God's help to this very day and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike, I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Now, Paul's speech is bringing about a rather different response in Festus and Agrippa. Uh, Festus, for his part, thinks that Paul has lost his mind. In fact, that's what he says. He says, you are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. But Agrippa is not so dismissive. But he can see what Paul is trying to do. Look at what he says in verse 28. Agrippa says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul replies, short time or long, I pray, God, that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. Paul makes no apologies for what he's seeking to do. His desire is to see that everyone becomes what he is. Not a prisoner but a sinner who's been saved by the grace of God. Someone who now serves the risen Lord Jesus. And so he will share that message every chance he's get with every opportunity that comes his way, even here at his own trial before kings and governors. He seeks to persuade them to put their trust in Jesus. Now the one thing that Festus and Agrippa do seem to agree on is that Paul is not guilty of anything deserving prison or death, but Paul has appealed to Caesar and so to Caesar he's going to go. Uh, And Paul and his trial get relocated to Rome, but we'll read about that uh, and look at that next week as we finish off the book of Acts. I just want to finish by pointing out a couple of things that I find particularly striking uh, from this story. Firstly, it's the, the conviction and the determination that Paul has to share the good news about Jesus. Paul, here he is in chains, facing charges whose, whose life may well be taken through this process. And yet every chance he gets, Jesus is on his lips. He seems far more concerned about those he's speaking to than about his own safety or his own freedom or even getting justice for himself. And you could say he's annoyingly persistent in trying to persuade everyone he comes across to become followers of Jesus. Now, I think we sometimes have a different uh, approach to people sharing their faith, and we may even feel this about ourselves, than, than people sharing other pieces of what we might consider to be good news. I mean, imagine for a moment if a scientist discovered the cure for motor neuron disease this week. Can you imagine that scientist sitting on that information, keeping it to themselves? Well, of course, they wouldn't, and nor would we want them to, because that news is far too valuable, isn't it? Too good to keep quiet. Information as good as that means you've got an obligation to share that with others. The Apostle Paul was convinced that he was in possession of something even greater than that. That he had a life-giving, life-transforming message to share. And it was too important to keep to himself. Are you convinced about that? Are you convinced that you have a life-giving message to share with others? That in the good news about Jesus, we have a life-changing message worth sharing? And if you are convinced about that, how is that reflected in your life? The second thing I think we see from Paul in these chapters is a model for how to do that, for how to share that news. Um, There's a a great verse that uh, we have in 1 Peter that kind of describes how Christians generally should go about trying to share their faith. And I think Paul's uh, life through these chapters, and indeed um, the other parts of Acts that we've read as well, are a wonderful example of what that looks like. But the verse in 1 Peter goes this way. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. So firstly, to set apart Christ as Lord, to be living a life, that has Jesus at the centre, that honours him. And secondly, be someone who is ready to share the hope that you have. Perhaps like Paul, it's a readiness to share your story, your testimony of God's work in your life. But it may also be to share the message of who Jesus is as fundamental truths about uh, the one who lived, died and rose again for us. But as we do that we're to do it with gentleness we're to do it respectfully it's not about us winning arguments or scoring points against people or, or humiliating anyone for our part we need to not only keep it civil but to share that news with humble hearts leaving the outcome to god and if we read over paul's trials we see A series, I think, of worked examples of what doing this looks like. This message about Jesus that we have, it it is too important to keep to ourselves. So let's live a life that shows that Jesus is our Lord. Let's be people who are ready to share the hope that we have with others. And when we do that, uh, to do it respectfully. We're going to respond in prayer and Tara's going to lead us in that. Dear God, and Lord, thank you for what we've just heard, read and taught from your word. Thank you again for the freedom that we have to do this so openly. Um, Lord, the book of Acts and Paul's persistence in sharing the gospel should be a reminder of just how important the message of salvation is. Like Paul, firmly plant in our hearts the magnitude and importance of Jesus' story and the great hope that we have in salvation. Lord, please encourage us to live lives that reflect this great hope, and be ready to share the gospel um, with those that we love. All this we pray in your son's name. Amen.